Hi, this is Smriti Kirvanandan, your host for Health Forward Podcast. One of the most important things you can do for yourself is to take care of your health. Your road to discovering an all-inclusive, empathetic, and innovative healthcare ecosystem starts right now. Taking on a challenge is a lot like riding a horse, isn't it? If you're comfortable while doing it, you're probably doing it wrong, said Ted Lasso. Athletic sports create discipline and focus and makes one incredibly humble. There are 250 million football players worldwide, and the American football, NFL, has held 1,696 of them. Being one of the most competitive, rigorous sports comes with injuries and mental health concerns, and it takes a great coach and mindset to succeed. In this episode, I discuss the art of resilience, health plans for the NFL, and the importance of empathy with Kelvin Beecham, who is an NFL player at the Arizona Cardinals. Kelvin, welcome to Health Forward. Such a pleasure to have you here. Thanks so much for having me today. Kelvin, as a football has always been your primary sport, and can you share a bit more about your journey to the NFL? So football has been my primary sport since about uh, my junior year in high school. Uh, I always wanted to be a professional basketball player, and so the coach told me I was a little too short. But that started the journey, and the journey from high school to, to now being a 12-year veteran has been you know, a long process. You know, went to SMU, got my undergrad there, played, I think, 52 consecutive games there, got drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, and you know, 2012 started my career and been going ever since. Awesome. Is there any personal or any inspiration that really drove you to playing football? I really wouldn't say it was inspiration from a football standpoint, but I looked at what my father did every day to provide a life for his family and the inspiration from my father to get up and work and, and, you know, find a way to make it happen for his family was what, you know, inspired me to, to utilize this football platform as a way to be able to provide for my family. So, you know, some people can be doctors, some people can be lawyers, some people can be carpenters. You know, my dad was an automotive technician and that was how he provided. And for me, football is the way in which I provide for my family. But it's also a phenomenal platform where I'm able to utilize it to, to be able to impact many people across the planet. Thanks, Kelvin. As someone who has many diverse interests and responsibilities off the field, can you share how you commit yourself to football in the off season and how you balance your various commitments on the field? Uh, can you share one of your greatest challenges and how you overcame it as well? Yeah, yeah. You know, I would say that there really isn't balance. Uh, I would say that it's more integration. Say that I, I balance all the, the different facets of my life, that would be a lie. But to say that I try to say that, I, that I try to integrate a lot of those facets into my life, I would say that was a, a better term to use. So from an integration standpoint, you know, my family is essential. So to everything that I do, my faith is essential. So it's how do I make sure that those things are interwoven and 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 pivotal and priority. Items within my life. So, making sure that my family is taken care of, making sure that I'm spending time with my wife and my kids, making sure that I'm spending time, you know, in the Bible, spending time in meditation, spending time in prayer. Um, and then, as I think about the things off the field, is how do I prioritize those things and make sure that they're spread out? So, for one, I'm not burning myself out, and that I'm also being authentic when I do go out and do those things, whether it be in the community or in the business world. That's amazing. And it's truly reflective of how everyone advises saying, you know, everything is a balance and you can do it all. And I often respond back saying, I don't think we can do it all. It's just humanly impossible. It sets Correct. up on a stage of failure. But I love that you said it's more of an integration and you kind of revolve the entire life around your priorities. So I think it's important that people figure out what's actual priority to them within that time and space. So, you know, thank you for sharing that. A research from Boston University states that almost 
91 to 99% of the NFL players are exposed to brain trauma. What are some measures that have been taken to manage this in your vast, vast experience? Yeah, I think that the NFL has really tried to do a better job of equipping um, players with the equipment to be better protected from a, a brain standpoint. So the way in which we wear helmets has changed dramatically over my time in the National Football League and even my time in youth sports and college football. The way in which, you know, we talk about concussions or, you know, they used to say getting your bell wrong or seeing stars, you know, they've been more proactive about making sure that if you feel those things or sense those things, that there is a procedure for you to get back to, to being able to play. And then there have also been a lot of tests and studies that have been done that have tried to curve some of the, the consequences of playing this game, whether that's, you know, working on, you know, mental exercises to keep the brain functioning in a, in a correct manner or, you know, stressing the brain in a, in a, in a manner that's not physical to, to prep the body for something that's physical. So, you know, the NFL and, and some of the, the ancillary entities around the NFL have really tried to do a really good job of promoting brain health and, and protection of the brain. And I would say even last year, well, two years ago, they actually started implementing this cover that covers the helmets during training camp. Um, to be able to protect the, the the volume of hits that come in contact with the head, with the head and neck area, so there's really been a push to try to push things forward as it pertains to brain health. That's amazing that they're taking proactive and reactive measures in many ways. We spoke about the external part, but the internal part, working in such a competitive field and one that requires so much mental and physical effort. What are some ways you're actually, you know, kind of managing your mental health in terms of just stress management or even just, you know, self-pep talk, which I give myself quite a bit, yeah. uh, but love to hear yeah. your perspectives on that. Well, you know, for me, I, like I mentioned earlier, it's those priorities. So I try to keep the main thing the main thing. You know, when my wife is happy and my kids are happy, I'm in a very, very good place. You know, when those things are a little off, then my body and, and my mind is off. So for me, that's where it starts at. And then secondly, you know, I, I think it's, and I call it self-care. You know, how can I provide self-care for myself? You know, I go get my, my toes done at the nail salon. I go get my, I'll get a facial, <laughs> you know, go get a, a sauna or, or, or get a massage. You know, not not my sports massage, but a massage from a spa to, to provide that self-care that's needed. And then there's times where I actually step away from the game. You know, I mentioned that I just got to practice field. This is my first, you know, two days in the building all offseason because I really wanted to step away from the game and, and learn to miss the game a little bit. And then once missing the game, I got back on the field and I'm very energized. So there's, again, I talked about the integration concept. It's being able to integrate things in your life to find ways to both push forward and pull back when needed. And I think when it, when it pertains to how do you stay mentally tough and mentally strong and mentally capable uh, of being able to withstand all the trauma that, that comes with this game, it's being able to understand when to push and when to pull, when to go forward and when to pull back. Um, so it's seasons and it's, it's ups and downs and different cycles in which you know, I think as an individual, you have to be cognizant of that and then plan accordingly to be able to, to compensate and help your body perform and your mind perform in the way that it needs to perform in the most critical moments of the game. I love that answer. One for two reasons is one that you also normalize that going to spa and taking care of yourself with manicures <laughs> and pedicures in for an NFL player should be considered, you know, it's okay, right? In a society where men are supposed to be X, Y, Z, it's important yeah. to be, you know, kind of normalize us. Thank you for that. And absolutely, I love that you said you sometimes have to go backward to go forward. It's basically a catapult strategy. I just love that. Thank you so much, Kelly. Yeah, no problem. And yeah. And I understand that as a professional athlete, your post-football career was only after health insurance that NFL would only supply for five years. 
Right. One, is this accurate? And if so, what are your thoughts on this, given the toll the game takes on your body and health, especially for someone with a career as long as yours? Yeah. You know, realizing that that's just where we're at right now. That's what was collectively bargained between the, the NFL Players Union and the NFL owners. So we have five years of insurance post-football. So, you know, knowing those things, you have to make sure that you have a plan in place for after those five years, you know. The NFL and the NFLPA do provide benefits. So we have, you know, a health, saving, a health savings plan, which you can use um, to be able to, to help with some of the bills post-football. But it's something that we really have to be, you know, critical about and something that we have to, to think quite a bit about. And that's, you know, leads to some of the issues that many professional athletes have after they play at the game. It's the bills that start to pile up from some of the things that occurred while you were playing the game. So again, it goes back to how do you, ensure and make sure that you are doing everything in your power, making sure that you're utilizing that the concept of, of, of being individualistic and thinking about yourself as you're transitioning from the game and putting yourself in the best position to utilize the services that we have now and thinking about the services that you're going to need 10, 15, 20 years from now. So if you had to change the number of years allocated and anything in the health plan, uh, what, would, what would that be in your current experience? You know, I would make a lifetime medical. You know, to be honest with you, because the thing is, is, you know, if you play this game for three years, 10 years, 20 years, there's still going to be ramifications from playing this game that no other person on the planet will have to experience. You know, it's only 0.2 or 0.3% of the, the global population that actually plays in the National Football League, and that may be pushing it. You know, it's only 1,500 guys that play in the National Football League on a year-to-year basis when it's multiple billions of people on the planet. You know, so what, you know, you endure from playing this game is a lot different. Now, I know people will say, and the caveat is, Kelvin, there are way more NFL players than there are basketball players. Well, basketball players have lifetime medical. You know, we need to think about how do we have lifetime medical. So there's been many conversations that are around that. That's the that's the uh, the North Star that mm-hmm. I know that the players union and, and, and players try to hope for. But if we never get that for our players and, and, and for the population of guys that play this traumatic game, that would be ideal. Thinking about that, understanding as a player, you signed up for this. So signing up for it, understanding the ramifications, understanding some of the issues. How do you put a plan in place? Um, how do you think about yourself and think about not only your, your physical being, but your mental being post-football, post the medical insurance running out? You know, that's a fascinating point you brought up, that the basketball players have an all-time medical. Why, why is that? Is that because there's a difference in pay or is this just how it all started? Well, I think, again, it goes back to just kind of numbers. Think about it. It's, it's 10 players that are on a basketball court at a time, five players from each team. And then probably on the entire roster, there may be, you know, 13 to 15 players on the entire roster, you know, from a basketball standpoint for each team. Well, for NFL teams, you know, on a given play, it's 22 players on the field, 11 from each team. And then most rosters are 50 to 60 guys. So we have almost 4x the volume of people that play in the National Football League in comparison to the NBA. And then another thing that you have to also think about is the NBA has no cap on how much they're able to play their players, whereas we have a salary cap. So it's just different models, different business models. And based on those business models, how have those unions, so the NBA PA and the NFL PA, how have they negotiated contracts with their owners um, to ensure some of those particular benefits? And, you know, the NBA, I would say, has been a little bit more progressive and as a union have done a much better job putting their players first and their medical insurance first than we have as, as NFL players and our, our union representation. So it's not that it's one is better than the other. It's just 
here are the, the differences in, in the different business models and the different ways in which, you know, we go about being able to, you know, protect our game. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also important to think about the longitudinal uh, impact of, you know, playing football versus basketball, right, or any other sport. But I think in terms of healthcare, uh, one has to think about the consequences, not just for the players, but also, you know, the family that you love. What is the consequence right. of them if there's an impact with one's health, right? So I think it's a right. it's an ecosystem play that we all need to consider and change and really address. So thank you for sharing. Talk to us a bit more about the wearable technology and its impact on your performance and recovery. Are there certain instruments you're using and how precise has this been in your improvements and development in the sport? Yeah, I think the the, the innovation and the way in which you know, players are tracked now. It's completely different than how it was 10 years ago, I would say. Just the level of engagement from a technology standpoint. We have sensors on pretty much every piece of equipment that we have. It's the cleats, it's the the, the shoulder pads, it's the helmet, it's the gloves, it's the ball, you know, it's the field, it's the stadium. So there's a, a ton of technology that's now being used and consumed by not only teams and players, but also by fans, whether it be from, you know, for fantasy or for betting, what have you. So there's been a, a huge evolution and a huge tech boom that's happened just within sports and just how we're tracking athletes. You know, you have a personal data, like, well, how do you know how you're sleeping well? How do you think about how much strain you put on your body? You know, how do you think about recovery? Those are all different performance metrics that are now being used by different companies. You know, the NFL uses AWS and next-gen stats. They also use Zebra technology. So they also use a company called Catapult. So there's so many different data points that are now being consumed by teams, by the NFL, by players. And it's just making the game better. It's making the game more precise. It's giving us more information. Now, the question is, how do we utilize that information? And, and how do we use that for the best practices? And those are the things that are now starting to come about because there's a ton of technology being used. But now how do you utilizing information best and make the best decisions about players, teams, fans, organizations moving forward. That is a great point. There's a lot out there in terms of data and tech, but the question always comes to the individual level as to what is it that we're going to do with this and how accurate right. is it and how safe is it and how sane right. are we going to feel with all this information on our plate? Yeah. It's a lot to grab. So Kevin, you're passionate about social impact and making a difference amongst vulnerable communities. We know you recently went to Zambia to participate in clean water access work. Talk to us a little bit more about your experience and some of the areas of focus of yours. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, domestically, we've always focused on two items or two pillars. One is ending hunger, both domestically and worldwide, and the other is providing access to science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, or STEAM. Um, and I say this quite a bit as it pertains to STEAM. Everybody can go pro in football, but everybody can go pro in STEAM. So a huge proponent of, of, of equity in education. Um, but as it pertains to, to kind of the, the conversation around hunger, when you think about that on a global scale and think about that in some of the developing countries across the planet, you can't talk about the hunger epidemic because you, you don't have access to clean water. So a couple of years ago, we started spending time kind of just having conversations around, you know, where can we serve and making sure that there are communities that have access to clean water. And first and foremost, there was an organization that we partnered with called World Vision that had been doing the work for a number of years. And we went to uh, Honduras 20, 2017, if I'm not mistaken. And then this year, um, post-pandemic, we were supposed to go in 2020, but the pandemic occurred, so we pushed it back. And this year, we had the opportunity to go to Zambia. And got to go and experience and feel and understand some of the, the ramifications of not having access to clean water and then also what it looked like to have access to clean water. So we got to see both sides of the equation, what it looked like to have access to clean water and what it looked like when people didn't have access to clean water. 
um, and got to see where our dollars were being spent, where uh, our footprint and our impact was really being made. And then how do we think about it long term? You know, I'm one of those folks that I don't like to just, you know, drop a check off and say, hey, go do what you want to with it. But, you know, it's it's how do you deploy capital into, into a region and you can see the fruits of your labor 10, 20, 40, 50 years from now. And those are the types of opportunities and projects that we enjoy um, as a family being able to partake in. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, we're excited to continue uh, going to different regions where we can serve. Um, excited to continue learning as we continue to, to, to build out that footprint uh, on a global scale. Such an incredible uh, work and service you're doing. One, most importantly, because of the climate change and um, all the implications in our ecosystem, especially in countries like Africa and all the other wonderful areas, it's important to just have basic water. And much of me thinks this is such a basic need. And um, right now, all these basic needs are put on a pedestal uh, for the right yeah. reasons, but need such more access and economic empowerment. And, you know, love that you're spending all your time, apart from playing sports, really dedicating back to the community. And I must ask, obviously, I have you on the show and Ted Lasso is one of you know my favorite shows and obviously many people's favorite show. According to Ted Lasso, he's all about leadership with compassion, belief and empathy. And I'm a true believer all of that. And I think that can move mountains. In your perspective, what makes a good coach? And obviously your thoughts on Ted Lasso. Yeah, I think what makes a good coach is the ability to understand the people that he's coaching or he or she is coaching. Um, do you have a trusted relationship with them? Can you be able to speak to them and meet them where they're at? Can you push them when they need to be pushed? Can you hold them to high expectations by at the same time being empathetic? And I've had the ability to be you know, coached by some of those coaches throughout my career. And I think as it pertains to Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso provides a, another element of humor to the way he coaches. But at the end of the day, it's all about the relationship. When you have a relationship with your players and players have a relationship with coaches, those build meaningful bonds that are able to transcend anything that you can train for as far as, you know, what you're playing for. Um, it's been coaches I've been willing to run through a wall for because of how they treated me and, and how they coached me and how they poured into me. And those are the types of things as a player that you really enjoy and that you always remember. So I'm always able to talk about coaches that have poured into my life because they really gave me something that I couldn't give myself, uh, gave me encouragement, gave me uh, things to think about gave me a way to be able to play the game that I never had thought about. And I think that's what's most special about great coaches and great leaders. I love that answer because even in my personal experience, I've had incredible mentors and leaders who just blindly believed. Uh, obviously, they knew intuitively that I would you know, go and execute. But it's just that belief that really unleashes one's potential. And I really yeah. hope within healthcare and obviously in sports, that this continues and we really um, encourage new leaders to develop in the field. You're obviously entering year 12 in your NFL career. What does the next five years look look for you? That's a great question. You know, um, if I could be playing in five years, that would be ideal, but I don't know if my body is going to allow that. But if that's not the case, you know, it, it's really being a dad. That's the first thing that I always think about and always point to. If I can be a great dad, everything else will kind of fall into place. It's pretty easy. Um, but what I aspire to be able to do on the business side is just continue to build credibility within the, the, the ecosystem, continue building uh, a, a brand that, that's credible, um, that's that's all about making a difference, not only in the boardroom, but also in the community. And being able to to, to, to be able to be somebody that's, that's looked to, not, all, not as a thought leader, but as a difference maker, um, and somebody that's, that's willing to walk hand in hand with founders and with entrepreneurs, whether they be, you know, for-profit or non-profit. 
and be able to do something that's differentiated, especially as an athlete or even a former athlete. You know, many times as athletes, we're put into these boxes where we can only do things that are in and around our sport or in and around kind of sports and entertainment. And I'm excited to be able to, to, to change that narrative in a, in a very uh, eclectic way. I love that you're nonlinear and you're expansive. And again, you you walk your talk. And I'm really grateful that the two percent of the population is, is on the call with me right now. And uh, this brings us to a last question. If you have to share three takeaways for the future of health, what would that be? The future of health, I think, for one, we need to have empathy. First and foremost, if, if we're not willing to have empathy in healthcare. You know, I think that, you know, as a planet and as a, as a society, it's not going to bode well for us long term. I think, secondly, we have to be able to utilize innovations and, and the new technology that's being used. And how do we provide the human element as that technology is continues to transcend within healthcare? And then lastly, how do we make healthcare accessible to all? So how do you provide equity within healthcare? Because uh, right now, I would say in many places on the planet, if you have access to capital and access to money, you have great health care. If you don't have access to good capital, you don't have access to money, you don't have good health care. So how do you provide an opportunity for there to be equity within healthcare? Kevin, love all your answers. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for all the work you do and the great sports you're currently engaged in. Thank you for being a part of Health Forward. Thank you for listening. This is Health Forward Podcast, and I'm your host, Smriti Kirbanam.